Well, good evening. It's really great to see all of you out tonight. If you go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're going to take our study from verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 3 all the way into 1 Thessalonians 4 this evening. So we talk about exhorting one another, exhorting the faithful. There was once a very successful preacher in the Los Angeles area who, after 31 years of service, was exposed in sexual sins and his ministry ended like that. There was a man who was closer to the situation who made this observation. I just don't think it would have happened if he was in a small group of men who had held him more closely accountable. I think he's right. Sometimes we make the mistake of believing that the ones who need exhortation are only those who have already fallen into sin and that those who are seemingly doing well, excelling spiritually, need no exhortation at all. As Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, we've seen that he's got this wonderful problem. As he speaks to the Thessalonians, really, he continues to say, I really don't need to write anything to you. They're thriving spiritually. Yet here's what's interesting. Even though he says he doesn't need to write to them, he writes to them. He has some things to say to them. It's kind of interesting, though Paul knew exactly what he would say to the wayward Thessalonians, though he knew exactly what he would say, or not the wayward Thessalonians, but the wayward Galatians and the wayward uh, Corinthians. uh, You know what you're going to say when they're not having a good time, when they're going through issues. But what are you going to say to these thriving Thessalonians? What would he say? Though we may naturally believe that it's presumptuous to urge on those who are doing well in their Christianity, Paul actually shows a different example here in the Thessalonian letter because he knows that anyone at any time is susceptible to any sin and anyone can fall from any level of spiritual successes. Everyone needs to be cautioned and urged on in their growth. Yes, even a preacher of 31 years. As Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so, as one who receives a lot of exhortation, since I am in front of you all often, and you all frequently talk to me about these things, and you give me exhortation, I can't say, many of you here are very, very good at this. Many here are good at exhorting one another, exhorting me. But how can we do better? How can we do better at all of us joining together and forming this great close-knit community where we are exhorting one another faithful Christians. So go ahead and notice with me that Paul is going to really give an excellent example of how to do this, but he's not going to give an example of how to do this until chapter four. But what I want us to see in chapter three and verses six through 13 is Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians before he exhorts them in chapter four, because I believe this is very vital in the process of exhortation. So what we're really going to see in verses six through 13 here, first Thessalonians is the type of pre-exhortation. And by the way, if you're using a pew Bible, uh, that's page 987 uh, to help you find 1 Thessalonians. So go ahead and notice with me verses 6 through 8, and let's notice first how Paul spoke to the Thessalonians in this type of pre-exhortation. 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I want for us to notice how Paul spoke to these Thessalonians here. In verse 6, he begins by speaking of Timothy's report. He relays to the Thessalonians that Timothy has come back from them and has relayed to him and Silas that really the Thessalonians are doing great, that they are growing in faith and love. He brings back a good report of their faith and of their growth. As I tried to think of, well, what is this that Paul is doing here? What what method is he employing? I, I really like the phrase good gossip. I think that is a helpful description of what's going on here. It's not just that Paul is pleased with the Thessalonians and he's telling them that. Though he does do that, you can go on and see in verses 7 to 8 how he says, he, uh, he, Timothy, and Silas are very pleased and very encouraged by the Thessalonians. He actually has relayed to the Thessalonians in this way. He's related uh, to them or relayed to them what Timothy said about them. Timothy had some good things to say about the Thessalonians. And so Paul writes to Thessalonians and says, hey, Timothy is saying you guys are doing great. It's a type of good gossip here that's going on. I bring that out because we all know how uplifting it is for someone to speak well of our spiritual growth and service. But how uplifting is it when someone else is so encouraged by our spiritual service and growth that they talk to others about it and people begin relaying to us how they've been having these conversations about how much we're growing and how good we're doing and how well we're doing in whatever area. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Uh, just to give an example, when I was in Colorado a couple of weeks ago preaching a meeting, the, the preacher there, uh, Jim, he uh, you know gave me compliments and stuff like that, you know, good job. But what was most encouraging was how later on that night he would relate to me the conversations that he had with the members and said, you know, these were the specific things that people were coming and telling me that were really helpful in their life. Uh, you know, that's really helpful for all of us. We all love hearing those things. And it's not just that we love hearing those things, but it encourages us a lot. Uh, and notice, by the way, everyone is doing that here in this passage. You notice that there in verses 6, 7, and 8, everyone is talking to everyone else about how good everyone else is doing. You notice the Thessalonians are speaking about how they long to see Paul and Silas, and they're telling, they told Timothy that. And then Timothy comes and he speaks well of the Thessalonians to Paul. And then Paul gets back and he and Timothy and Silas have this powwow talking about how encouraging the Thessalonians are. And then he goes and relays that to the Thessalonians. Everyone's just spreading this good gossip like crazy. It's so encouraging and so edifying. It's an effective means uh, that Paul uses here to encourage and build a relationship with these Thessalonians before he goes on in chapter four and has some tougher things to say to them. 
I believe then that we need to recognize that good gossip is a key way we can build our relationships with one another here before we ever caution or stir each other up in the future. We do need to pursue uplifting conversation with one another to build a relationship of trust. Trust that 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 person who's going to talk to me or is talking to me does actually care about my soul and does actually recognize that I have been working hard for the Lord and and seeking and pursuing growth. And so as a practical advice, instead of paying special attention to others' mistakes, Let's start trying to pay special attention to someone's growth. Not wrong with noticing someone's mistake and mistakes, and we'll get to that later on. But let's also, at the same time, let's notice one another's growth. When we see someone do something that encourages us, let's tell that to them. And if we have an encouraging conversation, like if I'm talking with Ashley about some great things Dan did, man, I'm going to go tell Dan, Ashley's saying, you're doing great at this. And we're going to build this relationship with one another. It's very helpful and it builds trust. Our words to one another before we caution and urge one another along matters. It really does because it affects how our words of exhortation, those difficult conversations, it affects how those words are going to be received later on. We all know how much easier it makes it when these relationships, easier it makes it to receive exhortation when these relationships are here ahead of time. So now after in verses six through eight, after Paul relays how he and Titus and, or Timothy and Silas, uh, excuse me, uh, were positively affected by the good news of the Thessalonians faith. Paul continues now on in verses nine through 13 to describe his prayer life with respect to the Thessalonians. And I believe this is very important at what as well. So notice verses nine through 13 with me. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So I want for us to notice in these passages, in verses 9 through 13 in particular, how Paul prayed with respect to the Thessalonians. You first notice there in verse 9 that Paul thanked God for the Thessalonians. Think about that for a moment. Paul literally and genuinely thanked God for the Thessalonians and for the joy that uh, they brought him and other Christians. Do you think that that affected how Paul would later word his encouragement and caution and exhortation to the Thessalonians later on? The, the fact that he literally thanked God for these Christians? Oh, certainly. That's certainly going to affect his words later on. Uh, It's difficult, really, to be an effective exhorter of Christians if we cannot and do not truly and genuinely thank God for them before we ever caution or stir them up or warn them about some problems in their life. I've found how true this is in my own life. Honestly, there's been times where I've tried to exhort or caution a faithful Christian 
And then I go on later on and I think about my words and I realize they really only hurt. They didn't help. Why? Because I had not taken time to appreciate how that faithful Christian was already striving hard for the Lord and already working hard for the Lord. And my words just came in and discouraged them because I did not come with a tone of thankfulness for the ways they had already sacrificed for the Lord. We can all find ourselves in this situation making these mistakes. And so let's ask ourselves before we urge on a faithful Christian. Have I thanked God for them? Something I want to do more in the future, uh, some practical advice here. If this is not something that just naturally is flowing out of our lives, uh, something I kind of want to do is pull out a directory more often and just go through and thank God for each Christian on that list for specific reasons. Man, that's going to change how I talk to them and my walk. I'm going to start viewing them as a soul that I am already thankful for. So maybe that, uh, maybe that could help you. Uh, we desire, we desire to be prepared to speak in love uh, and appreciation towards these Christians later on when we encourage them. The second thing we notice in verses 10 through 13 is that Paul here prayed for the growth of the of the Thessalonians. Paul was not just thankful for where the Thessalonians already were, but he entreated God's power in prayer that they might become more faithful. He prays for their growth in faith and love and blamelessness until the coming of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice what's kind of interesting there in verse uh, 10 and 11. Notice how Paul's prayer there is actually in verses 10 to 11 oriented around his desire to be a tool in the growth of the Thessalonians. You notice how he's praying to see them face to face to supply what is lacking in their faith. But what's also interesting is then in verses 12 to 13, Paul goes on to pray that the Lord would cause them to abound in love and abound in holiness and blamelessness before the Lord. So I believe then that this prayer shows tremendous balance uh, because Paul recognized Paul prayed that he might become an instrument. He did not pray without a desire to act on the prayer. He is praying for the Thessalonians' growth, and he wants to be an instrument in that growth. But he did not just pray recognizing that he needs to be working hard for the Thessalonians' growth, because he knows he's going to be separated from the Thessalonians. And who has the most power? Who has the most sanctifying power in a person's life? Jesus Christ. God has the greatest ability to cause someone to grow in love, to grow in blamelessness. The Thessalonians needed the gracious, sanctifying, transforming power of Jesus Christ. They needed his special attention. And so Paul goes to the Lord and prays on their behalf. And as we noted this morning, that's not an empty prayer. God will answer that prayer. He is seeking to cause growth in us and each other. And so instead of only praying for the weak when they're struggling, as I study this passage, I'm realizing how vital it is for us to pray for the faithful in our congregation as well, especially before we ever seek to exhort them. How often is it that we ignore this this really effective tool, this really effective tool that Paul used 
It's just really interesting as you read Paul's letters and you read, man, we, we just got done with the first three chapters last year, the first three chapters of Ephesians. How often did Paul say he was praying for the growth and knowledge of the Ephesians? I mean, it seems like it's in every single chapter. He's praying that they might come to know God more, that they might come to know God's love more and have the strength to abound in the knowledge of the Lord. He's constantly praying for these faithful Christians. This is something that we ought to do more. Uh, What greater way is there really for us to encourage one another and cause one another to grow than by entreating God in prayer and by also asking God to help us as we seek to help one another? I, I don't think that What's neat about this is it doesn't just then entreat God's power in their lives and in our lives as we seek to exhort one another, but that changes how we're going to talk to one another. If I'm praying for you as a soul before God when I have not done that before... That's going to change the way I look at you. That's going to change the way we all look at one another. If we're praying for one another as souls, hoping that they will grow, hoping and praying that they're going to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. That means we are going to be so attentive to their spiritual needs. We're going to see them as a soul, not as a buddy to talk football with on Sunday, but someone to see, hey, how are things going in your life? We can often be tempted. I believe this is so important because we can often be tempted to speak to one another with hasty words that are not crafted in gentleness. Praying for one another and asking for God's help in our teaching will help us be more effective when we do stir one another up. And in a balanced way, as we pray for God's help in this, we're not going to end up being forceful with one another. I know I've, I've made that mistake at times. I've tried to be too forceful and trying to help someone change and I end up hurting them. But if I'm praying that God will be working in their life too, then I, in a balanced way, will recognize it, it's not me alone that's going to cause their growth. There's other people. There's God who's working even harder for them than I am. And so in summary of, of this first part of our study, I hope that Paul's words here at the end of chapter 3 will help us see the, the, a greater need for us to build relationships among both weak and strong Christians. Speaking to one another, encouraging words, spreading good gossip, thanking God for one another, praying for each other's growth, really fosters this community and culture of respect And honor and carefulness before we dive into this awesome task of exhorting and this task that needs to be taken very carefully and seriously. This task of exhorting one another, a faithful Christian, Christians. And I say that this is important because we've all been exhorted by someone who we've been cautioned and instructed by someone who it's very clear that they don't have this relationship with us. That's pretty tough to hear, isn't it? We all know when someone comes to us and they talk to us, and it's pretty clear that they've never prayed for us. They've never noticed uh, how we've already been working hard for the Lord. They've never thanked God for us. They don't sincerely appreciate us. And how often, how really, how great do those words come across to us? You know, it's not really helpful. And what often happens is we end up sounding like one another's bosses. We don't want to sound like that. We don't want to sound harsh or critical. 
And so we need to be pursuing these relationships with one another for that purpose, because we know how hard it is to hear it ourselves. And so let's help one another hear exhortation by first uh, engaging in these good relationships with one another ahead of time. But now that Paul has uh, uh, complimented the Thessalonians and has built this good relationship with them, as we've seen in chapter 3, how would Paul go on to actually exhort them in chapter 4? Well, notice verses 1 through 12 with me of chapter 4. And as you notice, and as we read uh, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4, I don't want you to just notice, let's not just notice the content of what he's talking about. Because he's going to talk about sexual sins. He's going to talk about uh, loving our brother. But let's not just notice the content of what he's talking about. But let's notice how he goes about to exhort them on to greater purity and greater love. So notice how he does that in verses 1 through 12. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers... To do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So as we notice how Paul went on to exhort these faithful Christians, I want for us to first notice how Paul first, before he got into the specifics, he first acknowledged their current obedience and that they have no need for exhortation. So I want us to see kind of how a model conversation would go if we're talking to someone and trying to caution them or exhort them. I think the first important thing to do is to note that they have really no need for exhortation because they're doing so well already. I believe this is significant, especially as we consider that these Christians here in this situation, we know what they were going through. We've talked about how they're going through a great persecution and perhaps even a deadly persecution where the Christians were dying and they were in great uh, in great mourning because of that. We get on in chapter four and Paul's having to warn them or tell them, hey, don't worry, you're going to see your brothers in heaven one day. Don't worry. So they're in a sad situation. They're already sacrificing in a great way for the Lord. It would have been really rude for Paul to come in and say, hey, you guys need to be pure or God's going to condemn you. Hey, be more loving. Get out of one another's business and start working. Get off the couch. Because in reality, the Thessalonians were already doing great. Before Paul urged them on, he sincerely acknowledged that the Thessalonians were already growing and doing well. This is an idea that I've never really soaked on that much before. 
as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and the Ephesians and other Christians and told them areas where they needed to grow, it's interesting that Paul never expresses in those letters to these faithful churches where they need to grow in certain areas that they're not genuine believers. Certainly there's always going to be those in a congregation that are not genuine children of God. That happens. But just because we can identify where someone needs to grow does not mean they're not a genuine believer. As we consider exhorting faithful Christians, we need to remember exactly what it is that we are doing. We are exhorting faithful Christians, not the wayward, not the lost. Faithful Christians have already made great sacrifices for the Lord and they've already made great changes in their life. And as we go to them in our conversation to exhort them, we need to acknowledge that mentally so we watch our tone and we need to acknowledge that verbally before them. Hey, man, I want you to know you are doing so great in this particular area, serving one another, telling others about the lost, being hospitable in these other ways. And if we're going to do this, then honestly, that means that we've got to have a pretty high view of God's grace and patience in one another's lives. If we're going to speak to one another in that way. And furthermore, we all know acknowledging someone's current current obedience is also helpful and important because how often do we do things? Do we make sacrifices for the Lord and not actually recognize how important what we're doing is. We've all had that at times where someone comes up to us and says, hey, this is really great how you do this particular thing. And that's just really encouraging to me. And that's really important what you're doing. And we kind of realize, we scratch our heads and we thought, well, I never really thought much of that before. We need to relay that to one another. We need to relay that what someone is already doing, their current obedience is already significant. And really this leads to the second aspect of Paul's exhortation. Because really Paul goes on from there after he says in verses 1, 9, and 10 that just as you are doing, just as you're already obeying, he tells them, do that more. Do that more and more. He continues to tell them how they need to continue in their holy walk and do what they're doing more and more. Keep up that great purity, Thessalonians. Do it more and more. Keep up that great loving of your brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Do it more and more. If we want to know how to encourage and exhort on someone who is already doing very well in certain situations, don't just tell them that what they're doing is good. Tell them, hey, do that more. That is really good what you're doing. We need more of that around here. That's important because I've always seen in the past exhortations as stop this, start that. And that's not really good because what often happens is we might end up telling someone to stop doing what they've already stopped and tell them to start doing what they've already started doing. And that is only very frustrating to hear. Only very frustrating. Exhortations are not just stop this, start that, but oftentimes keep doing what you're already doing. I love how you're serving your brothers and sisters, teaching the lost, being generous with the needy. This has been such a help and encouragement to so many. We need more of that around here. Keep that up. Do that more and more. And notice this is a lot more motivating than why don't you dot, dot, dot. A lot more motivating, a lot more encouraging than that. 
The third thing that we see Paul do in this situation is he tells them in verses 4 through 8 and 10 through 12 how they can approve and why their growth has significance. I believe this is where Paul's prior relationship and encouragement to this point with the Thessalonians really comes in handy. Paul was very pleased with the Thessalonians, but this did not mean that he did not see potential weaknesses and pitfalls in their lives. And so as he comes to this idea of purity, he says, uh, you're doing wonderful in purity. Keep pursuing more and more purity. But guys, lust is so dangerous Watch out for that. Make sure that everyone is knowing how to control his own body and purity and holiness because this will bring you down and will cause you to be unfaithful to our Lord and disregard his Holy Spirit. Watch out for that, okay? And then as he goes on to talk about love, he says, man, you guys are doing great. You guys have been taught by God to love the Lord, uh, to to love your brothers. I don't need to say anything to you, but I will say this. uh, Make sure you mind your own affairs. And make sure you continue to walk, continue to work so that you don't have to uh, lean on someone else and use someone else's funds. So, so keep working hard. Mind your own business. See how he does that? He does that and, it, and that comes across whereas if he would have just walked up to them and said, hey, mind your business. That wouldn't have gone over so well. We've all heard stuff like that, haven't we? Not helpful. Not helpful at all. I want for us to notice then that Paul does give specifics as to how these Thessalonians could grow in their walk with God. In fact, we could say that these are cautions. You notice how he does that. These are cautions. He genuinely does not want them to fall from where they already are, but to continue onward. And so he warns them of potential dangers. I think this is so, so important and so significant because we often can think that it's presumptuous to encourage, push forward, exhort, warn, caution faithful Christians. Let's know this now. It is never presumptuous. There is no one who is exempt from needing to be kept accountable, urged on, and cautioned in their walk with God. No one is exempt from this at all. It does not matter if someone has been a preacher for 31 years as we saw in the beginning illustration. In fact, I would say that the faithful need to be exhorted and encouraged and cautioned just as much as the weak so that the faithful don't end up becoming the weak later on. I like how John Piper says this. He says, don't get into people's lives when things are falling apart. Get in when things are going well and help each other keep that course. I think that's a pretty helpful way of putting it. So along with identifying the weak who need exhortation, let's also start looking around the room and 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 in the directory and in each other's lives and identify those who are doing well and develop a positive relationship with them. Pray for them with thankfulness. Pray for their growth. And then as we draw near to them and develop a relationship with them, we're going to start to see potential areas, potential pitfalls, ways that they need to grow. And so when when we get to that point where we see areas that they need to grow, let's acknowledge their obedience, tell them to keep up their current obedience, and then carefully, gently say, watch out for this, or 
How are you doing in this area? A really good way of doing this is, is keeping one another accountable. A very helpful thing is to ask one another how each other is doing. It's not presumptuous to ask a close brother or sister how their marriage or prayer life is going. It is not presumptuous to ask a close brother how they're doing spiritually at leading their family or how a close sister is doing at avoiding gossip or, hey, how's it going with your kids and that discipline, that the discipline of the Lord. It's not presumptuous to ask one another about those things. If we had not joined in a relationship with one another here, that might be considered presumptuous. But because we are all here in this room and seeking to develop a relationship with one another, it is it's not presumptuous at all to do something like that. And so let's encouragingly show each other these areas of danger and how we can do better in our service to God and one another. One, one quick note, though. Notice verse 11. As Paul continues to exhort them, he says, And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. I think that's kind of a helpful exhortation as we consider this. It's good for us to watch out for one another spiritually. But there is a way to take this to an extreme. There is a difference between asking each other how each other is doing and prying prying into one another's business and being nosy and forcing our way into someone's life and to someone and into someone's business. There is a big difference. One is helpful And one is sinful. And we need to be very careful of this. And here's a good note. If we're constantly only noticing each other's faults and constantly finding ourselves doling out human wisdom to people, that should be the sign that we're in one another's business and that we're in someone else's uh, life in too close of a way and we've pried and we've been too nosy. Let us certainly, certainly not avoid exhorting one another, but let's be careful also to mind our own matters as well. As a final thing, then, I think it's helpful to talk about the receiving end of this just as a kind of a quick conclusion to this whole idea, because uh, we all know it's really difficult to be on the receiving end of cautions at times when someone warns us about someone or something or asks us how we're doing. It really makes it a lot easier and maybe even could be described as easy to hear it at times when other people do it in this way. But if it's not done in this carefully crafted way, it makes it difficult. But I don't think that it's helpful for us then to just say, well, everything they said was just unhelpful and I'm not going to listen to it at all. Uh, Let's consider three Proverbs as it relates to this, as it relates to receiving exhortation. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 28.26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, on the receiving end, we should not also take offense if someone asks us how we are doing in a specific area of our life, even if it's not done in a carefully crafted way, though we would love for it to be done in that way. We, here on the receiving end, 
We individually are not exempt from being cautioned and warned and exhorted. If our response to those who would warn us or exhort us or caution us is to scoff or to turn them away or to say, can you believe what they said or asked me about? Then we need to carefully look at all these proverbs and see we are we are in the wrong. If it were up to our own minds to lead us, Proverbs 28, 26, we would go to destruction. We would be fools. We would fail. We need a brother and sister's caution. We need to be urged on. Even consider Paul himself coveted the prayers of those he worked with. And even apostles needed to be warned and corrected at times. We're not above them. And so let's not think or act as if we are. I think Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 is another, it is also a helpful conclusion, just as it is a helpful introduction to this whole matter. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Anyone in any situation can be brought down by sin and hardened in their hearts. I can, you can. And so let's all work hard to develop this close community, this close community of relationships where we're watching out for one another. This close community of close-knit relationships and exhortations and cautions doesn't happen by accident. It's something we have to work for. And so let's caution and care for one another with gentle affection. If there's any way that we can help you in your walk with God and gently exhort and caution and urge you on in your walk with God and you want to make that known to us, then feel free to talk to us about that. Feel free to talk to us about that in a personal conversation. Or if there's any way that we can help you tonight, we want to do that as well. And if you've not received God's awesome gift of salvation... There is no reason to wait. You can do that tonight. All you have to do is pursue Jesus Christ in faith. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will rise up to walk a completely new life, dead to the old man and striving on towards God, secure in a heavenly home. Won't you consider doing that? If there's any way we can help you in your walk with God, come forward to the front while we stand and while we